Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. joining me on this late June evening. We're doing the show live. Um, as everyone knows, it's been a pretty exciting week for me between getting on Rotoviz and doing the Fantasy Feast. But the, as, as life kind of does it, 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 it the, the joy starts to wear down a bit and life continues and you're back to grinding and trying to, you know, build on the momentum that I got off of that episode uh, one other bit of good news that came my way this week, Rotoviz asked me to do a weekly article on ADP that I'll be splitting with Neil Dutton, and the first one of those just came out today, so you can go on Rotoviz if you got a Rotoviz pass, and you can check that out. If you don't have a Rotoviz pass and you're listening to this show, I've been a Rotoviz member for three years, so I'm not recommending it just because it's my site. But they've got, I mean, the Best Ball app alone is well worth the $30 a year. But some of the smartest guys in the industry are writing there, and now I'm writing there as well, so maybe not all the smartest guys. But um, if you do get a Rotoviz pass for $30, I think it'll be well worth your money. And if you need any extra incentive to do it, I've agreed to turn anything I make from Rotoviz this first year over to Fantasy Cares. It is Scott Fish's uh, charity, and the money will go directly to Toys for Tots. We can help Scott, who's one of the best guys in the industry. He's got a $10,000 goal for Fantasy Cares this year. So get yourself a Rotoviz pass. Um, you know, go through my link on my Twitter feed, which is at Todd, and that's with one D from PA, T-O-D-F-R-O-M-P-A. And if you sign up through my link, you will, um, uh, uh, more than half ends that will end up going to uh, Toys for Todd. So anyway, enough about me. Um, we'll get over to our guest. His name is James McCool. He's a guy that I met through him doing some writing on a website that I belong to uh, for all sports, dailyroto.com. Um, Daily Roto has Drew Dinkmeyer and Mike Leone. Those are probably the two most famous names there. And we'll get a little bit of his story and how he came to write with them. And then we'll kind of head into the subject of the day, which is, to no surprise, MFL 10s. James is very analytical. He has his own process, and he is turning his eye to MFL 10s. 
So we're going to go through some of his process, his overall thoughts, and then we'll start going through the rounds. And he's got players rated as people he's real excited about, people he think are okay, and people he has real questions on. So we'll see how far we can get with that in the time allowed. And without further ado, James, are you there? Yeah, how you doing, Todd? Good, good. Um, it's good to talk to you. And to finally, you know, we've talked a lot on Twitter. It's nice to actually talk to you in person. Yeah, I'm really excited to be on the show. Um, it's a really cool opportunity for me to kind of break away from the daily scene and talk about something in a little bit more long-term and uh, finally get to be on something with you. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's it's really cool. You You know, you meet people in this hobby, and, and I can break them down into people who are, you know, really good guys, very giving, and then you've got guys who will help you sometimes, and then other guys, well, we won't talk about. You definitely fit into that first category. You've always kind of really come off to me as someone who is willing to engage anyone who asks and really help, and so it's my pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I did want to ask you, because on Daily Roto's message boards, you go by the name Multi-Chem or Multi-Chem. How do you pronounce that? That is Multi-Chem, and uh, that is actually my old gamertag name that I had when I was a pro gamer years, years ago, uh, and it just carried over to my DFS profile. That is very, very cool. So... I did not know that about you. What uh, what games were you professional at? I was professional when I was 13 at a game called Guitar Hero, which most people probably know as Rock Band now. Uh, and then I moved on to first-person shooters. I did Halo, which I was on the professional circuit, as well as Call of Duty and a little bit of Overwatch. That's phenomenal. So tell us a little bit about what that's like being a professional doing that. It, it involves a little bit less work than I think some people would assume. Um, there's not as much traveling as being a professional that goes to tournaments and other sports. Um, it's, it's a lot of online gaming. It's a lot of virtual stuff, uh, virtual ladders, but it, it requires the same amount of dedication. It's eight hours a day of playing and developing a bond with your teammates and it's uh it's something that I really miss a lot and that I cherished. How come you got away from it? Um I I went off to college. It it was hard to to balance things. I did play football in college as well. Um and so it oh you eventually you're, have you're, to grow out of that kind of thing. You're you're like an onion. I keep peeling away layers here. Um, so where did you go to school and, uh, and, uh, what, what, what did you play? Uh, I played football for 10 years. I played majority. I was a lineman. I was a right tackle for the first, uh, five years. And then they moved me over to tight end towards my senior year in high school. And I went to university of Northern Colorado and played as a tight end and a weak side linebacker for a couple of years. That's very cool. I mean, that. I mean, seriously. I mean, how old are you? I am 25. Man, you've already lived a very interesting life. So, 
Um, you get out of college and somehow you end up being in DFS. Are you a full-time DFS guy? I am not as full-time as I would like to be. Um, I I do dedicate, I've built algorithms and I've built my own models and um, I do what I can to help the community because I just, I, the reason why I got into the DFS community is it's it's just such a, it's an interesting thing for me with my sports background. I can apply it and it gives me something to study and research and really apply myself to. Yeah, and, and if anyone has, uh, you know, wants to see James' article. He does one once a week. I think it's on Friday, correct? Yes, sir. It's on Friday, and it is free every week. Yeah, and, I mean, his process is phenomenal. And it, what's really interesting is it's very contrarian for the most part, too, as someone who's seen your picks, you know, a number of times. You're, you're not always on what everyone else is on, I've noticed. No, one of the things about DFS for me is running a contrarian lifestyle. I, uh, I, I've just dived so far into things, and when we, when we look at these event-oriented sports, as much as people want to think that they know what's going to happen, it, it's, all, it's all just up in the air, man. We don't know exactly what's going to go down. So um, avoiding the chalk is something that I put a lot of effort into and in trying to find those pivots. Yeah, to, for for me tonight, I, I've got a little bit of the Kansas City Royals. How's that for being contrarian? <laughs> it's working out for you. Yeah, they're 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 actually off to a pretty good start. Um, hopefully, they can uh, continue to add some runs. But literally, I've got five Royals, and none of them are more than up. Uh, Salvador Perez is six percent owned, and everyone else, I, my whole team so far. It, the highest owned guy is seven percent, Jackie Bradley. I have because I've been doing a lot of writing and I'm a full time sales rep. I really haven't done much with baseball lately, but I still like doing a lineup or two every day. Yeah, that's the important thing. It's just making sure that you uh, stay in it and stay um, stay prevalent, and make sure that you're still getting something in every week so you don't get rusty. Exactly. Because it can happen quickly with baseball, especially as you get toward the middle to the end of the season with a lot of guys getting called up and a lot of trades. Um, I, I could see how you could get rusty real quick. So how did you get hooked up with Daily Roto? That, I, that's got to be a pretty good story because, uh, you, know, I, you know, I talked to Drew on uh, the Daily Roto boards a lot. You know, he, he doesn't come off like someone who would just let anyone work for him. So I'm very interested to see how this kind of worked out. Yeah, so I started writing uh, for free over on Roto Grinders. I had a blog um, last year that I did for NFL where I would take each slate, I'd take, take each week, and I would break down every single game in depth. And it was, it was upwards of 15,000 words every week. Um, I would dedicate 30 hours or so to the research and to the writing process and I was doing it for free. Uh, I won two blog of the month awards before I started um, getting a little bit more notice from guys in the industry. One guy, Max Ernst over there at Roto Grinders, uh, he really gave me a lot of good exposure um, and talked to some guys for me. And one of those guys that he talked to was Mike Leone. And 
I was posting all of my NBA content for free on Twitter every day. I would post my research to my page and I would just pin it. Um, and Mike was really, really interested in what I was doing and wanted it, wanted to give me an opportunity to have it on Daily Roto every week. That's awesome. Yeah, Leone seems like a really good guy. Leone's probably one of the best guys that I've ever met. He's uh, he's goofy, but he's he's a really genuine guy. That that's my impression as well. And um, you know, I really enjoy my subscription for Daily Roto. And uh, you know, I, this is my second year with a full pass. Um, I might just you know, I've been cutting down subs and I've been doing less DFS, like I said. I might stick to uh, just NFL and it, I mean, and their NBA content is off the hook. Drew is just a friggin' genius with the NBA. Drew is he's man, he's a computer. That guy is he's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to, and the conversations that I have with him usually end with with me just in ultimate praise of the things that he can say in every sport. Uh, basketball, baseball, NFL, we haven't even gotten there yet, but I'm sure I, he's just, he's so good at what he does, and he's so good at the process that he employs. Um, he's definitely, he's one of the better minds that I've talked to in the industry. Yeah, and that, and that's, you know, I met him and Mike at, uh, well, actually him and Adam, I think I met. Uh, I definitely met those two. I don't remember meeting Mike at the Roto Grinders event in New York a couple years ago. And, um, you know, I, everyone there was, you know, trying to sell you their sub in, in their own way and with different amounts of pressure. And I, I took in all the information. And after I left, I went back and, and, and you know, because Drew's just so impressive. And, you you know, you it, to me what really matters is, I want to feel like I'm getting their best, right? I don't want to feel like they're holding back information for themselves, you know, and I, I really trust that Drew and Mike are putting their best stuff out for the subscribers every day. Drew and Dink, I don't think there's anything that those guys could possibly hold back. I mean, they're working around the clock. Uh, they're up at 4 a.m. to do the podcast. They're up until midnight putting in minutes for NBA. Those guys put everything that they have into the craft. And over at Daily Roto, it's an entire team of guys that do that, whether it's Drew or it's Mike, Adam with the website maintenance, or it's Ben writing the CFL content, which is just fantastic. Uh, it, the entire team over there just round the clock putting everything they have into it. Yeah, and, and they're all good dudes too. You know, you, you, you don't get attitude. You know, it's just, I, 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 again, you know, I don't want this to turn into a commercial for Daily Roto. I certainly have no skin in the game there. But, I, you know, I am a subscriber. And, um, you know, they have models. They're constantly improved. You know, the content that I got when I first joined two years ago is so different than what they're offering now. And they're constantly improving it. I, I I didn't mean this to turn into like a whole daily roto part of the pod, but it, it's true, and they really deserve the credit for doing it. They really do. Those guys, they're they're chasing the best that they can possibly be, and that's all that anybody can really ask out of a profession or out of a sub or out of anybody, really. You're just looking to be the best that you can be 
in whatever you are passionate about. Yep. All right. So um, why don't you, you know, the one thing I forgot to have you do is tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter and, and is there any other place they can find you that they should know about before we get into MFL 10? Yeah, so I am on Twitter at paydirt underscore DFS. Uh, that is my handle. You can just uh, follow me there. I, I post everything that I can. If I'm going to play the slate, um, I will post my info. I'll post my thoughts. I'll post some picks even on days where I'm not writing an article. And then, of course, uh, every Friday my article is posted over on dailyroto.com in the MLB free section. Uh, it's full breakdown of my analysis of the slate and of the picks and all of my my models and my sheets. And, uh, yeah, just um, go follow along. Go read up. Yep. And uh, I love the way you lay out information. And uh, I know we're not here to do that, and I don't want to spend, you know, any more time on that end of your life. But, people, you should go check James out and um, – I, you're, you're going to be really impressed by the stuff he puts out there. If if you're looking for a way to differentiate yourself in, uh, on a slate and get some different thoughts, I, I highly recommend his stuff. So, I, I mean, I, I do it myself. And, and when I miss your article, I kick myself. And, again, it's because I've been busy with other things. All right. So um, I guess the next question, James, is, and do you, do you prefer to be called James or McCool? I, I've been calling you James all episode. James is just fine. Uh, James or McCool, whichever one you'd prefer to say. Um, a lot of people didn't think that McCool was my actual last name, so I'm used to being called James. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when you meant, you, you go by multi-chem, and I'm like, all right, well, that can't be his real name. And I, I, I just kept, I kept feeling funny typing multi-chem. So I'm like, what's your real name? And you're like, McCool. And I'm like, no, really. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Um, all right, so tell us about MFL 10s, how you ended up getting interested in them, and kind of you know, lead us into your MFL 10 journey. So last year, uh, and I've been doing season long for probably six or seven years now, um, when I was back in college, and uh, I first stumbled upon MFL 10s. Al Zeidenfeld was talking about them last year. He was talking about jumping in on them and doing them over the off season. I had no idea that you could do a season-long draft during the off season. So that was a really intriguing thing to me. Because if you have thoughts and if you have different routes that you want to go, now is the time to do it, uh, not after training camp when everybody already has the information. If you can get a jump on people in the off offseason, um, your edge is significantly sharper doing MFL 10s. So it's something for me, since I'm always looking for that extra edge, MFL 10s are a really, really intriguing um, and opportunistic thing that I like to go after. How many did you do last year, if any? And how many do you uh, have in the can so far this year? And how many do you think you'll finish with? So last year, I probably only had 20. The problem for me is that since I live in Colorado and they're not legal here, I have to travel either to Wyoming or New Mexico or Utah in order to do an MFL 10. 
So mm. I am lucky enough to live in northern Colorado. I'm about an hour and a half away from Wyoming, so I can travel to the border and and crush out a couple. Uh, so I didn't have too many last year. But right now I have 25. I plan on having 100 to 150 if I can get there. Uh, you're in my league. That's about where I'm going to finish this year. Somewhere. I'm, I got 75 in the can. And um, Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so, um, all right. So I, I guess the next question I have for you is, how do you like to attack MFL 10s? Give us a little bit of an overview of, of your theory and what you tend to kind of do as it relates to big picture in drafting these things. So overall, I prefer to run a zero running back strategy. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in that as running backs may carry a higher floor, but their ceiling isn't quite as high as those first round wide receivers that you can get. Um, I also refuse to take a QB before round five. Uh, I just think that position players are much more important than QBs. You can stream QB two all year if you feel like doing that. Um, it's, it's important for me to attack an MFL 10 and get as much upside as I possibly can from it. Uh, taking into consideration things like injuries or uh, volume concerns or new situations. Um, it's something that you look at and you can apply these weekly, these DFS thoughts to MFL 10s, which I'm not sure that many people do. And it's something that I try to do every time I draft. Right. But once you're done drafting, you're done. There's no, there's no adjusting your lineup uh, going forward. Right. Correct. Uh, the waiver wire is something that I had to move away from. That was something that I ran heavy in my regular local season longs and the MFL 10s, it's a little bit harder to, uh, to really construct a long-term thought uh, using the DFS analysis that I use, but I've, figured out a pretty good way of doing so. Oh, uh, why don't you tell us a little about that? Because what, what my study has been a lot of it, you know how you get a thought and then you end up down the rabbit hole. And the, you know, one of the thoughts that have gotten me down the rabbit hole this year is that essentially what MFL tens are is 16 individual DFS weeks that accumulate. And the goal is to try and use a lot, you know, so I've been doing a lot more stacking and watching out for my buys and things of that nature this year. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. So with correlation. Is something that I'm, yeah, exactly. Correlation. Um, one of the things that people don't consider and haven't considered since I've been playing season long is really trying to stack up a team. Um, it does hurt you on bye weeks, but that's why you have to pay attention to it. If you're going to stack up Green Bay in one of your drafts, if you're trying to go Aaron Rodgers, Jordy Nelson, uh, Randall Cobb, maybe some Ty Montgomery, uh, then you really have to look at that bye week and think, okay, who am I going to take that is going to be available to fill in for these spots when Green Bay has their bye week? But the correlation right. is just as strong in season-long in MFL 10s as it is in DFS we're still looking for that quarterback to wide receiver correlation. We're still looking for the defense running back correlation. 
we're still looking for the tight end to be involved in teams that are going to have a lead. Um, those are the kinds of things that I think about when I'm doing an MFL 10 that I think some people might pass over just because they're trying to get the best player available. Exactly. And that was me the first two years profitable, I like to say. Well, almost ain't good <laughs> enough. And last year I really – you know these things are fun. I call them. I call MFL tens the one night stands of fantasy football. You know everyone <laughs> loves to draft, and you know I think most people who've been in this hobby for or you know interest or whatever you want to call it for a while have ended up getting themselves in more leagues than that they can comfortably manage, and it's very easy to get burned out by week ten. When you you know you're sitting there, and you only really have the time and the energy to do waivers for three leagues, but you're in seven. Um, and so, uh, what what the MFL tens do is in the, you know like a one night stand. There's no commitment. You know, once your lineup is once you've drafted your team, it's just sit back and see how it does. So, you know, I. I, I, I've been doing a lot of what you've been talking about, a lot of these co- looking at correlations. And, again, like you mentioned, the one with running back and, uh, and defense, we know that they're correlated. We know that it's a thing. And it doesn't matter if it's a small edge. You, don't, uh, you know, for me, though, I know what my take on this is. I want to have your take. How do you go about making sure that in your – desire to correlate you're taking a team that overall you know or a player that overall isn't as good and how do you guard against um you know kind of ending up over the cliff trying to correlate and ending up hurting your team overall so the cool thing about mfl 10 like you said, you draft it and then you just set it and you see how it does. Um, for people who are going to do upwards of 100, 150, 500, 1,000, whatever have you for your MFL pens, uh, the cool thing about it is that you can try out these different combinations and that's how you get the diversification on your team without going over the top. If one, one MFL 10 you drafted Tom Brady and Julian Edelman, maybe another one you skip Edelman and you take Deion Lewis. If one, you took Cam Newton and Kelvin Benjamin, maybe another one, you take Cam Newton and Greg Olson. Uh, those correlations, since you have so many to run with and you're only trying to win a certain percentile of them, uh, you just need to hit the winning combinations on enough teams to be profitable. So you can experiment with that and have plenty of different correlation exposures in your portfolio. Yeah, and I think portfolio is a term that my guest Thursday night, T.J. Hernandez, does a ton of good work on. But I'll add that I think most people who draft in fantasy football drafts, what's the first thing you do? You buy a magazine, and the magazine is, you know, you bring that magazine with you to the draft, and there's tiers, right? You know, the the, the the first tier of quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. The second tier is Andrew Luck, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees. The third tier is, you know, X, Y, and Z. When I'm trying to correlate, if I can correlate while still taking someone in a, a tier, like my top-ranked tier, then I'll correlate. 
but like the, you know, in a draft recently, I came up and I had an opportunity to stack Kirk Cousins with um, Terrell Pryor, but Russell Wilson was still on the board, and I thought correlate or Russell Wilson over Cousins, correlate or Russell Wilson over Cousins. And I ended up taking Russell Wilson because I feel like he's the better player overall, and I don't want to drop down to another tier to try and correlate. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of those things that you can bring back to DFS when you are completing a stack, say in MLB, if you're trying to stack five Blue Jays uh, and you have to take – smoke at first base but you have goldschmidt at home against like nick pv or something like that do you complete the stack and get the full correlation or you take the better one off play and i think that that's really it's really objective to the person who is drafting there are people that believe in those one-offs and trying to nail that correctly and have the better player and then there's people that really believe in the correlation between the teams Yeah, and I think that, like, for me, you know, we're talking – I got Russell Wilson in the – I think it was either the seventh or the eighth – the end of the seventh, beginning of the eighth. So I I thought at the time, well, I can still correlate. You know, Jimmy Graham and Baldwin are gone, but Lockett's still out there. Paul Richardson's still out there. And you were talking about the portfolio. It You know, I don't want to drop a tear – and then if I can later, I, you know, I can always catch up and do a different correlation. You know, how, like you mentioned with DFS, you know, one, one week you might have Matt, one team you might have Matt Ryan with um, Julio Jones, but if that's your big team of the week, you better have a stack with uh, Sanu as well. Right, exactly. And what you just said about, moving up the tier at quarterback, which is the more important position and dropping down a tier with your correlation play. I think that that would make a lot of sense. If you were, if you had the opportunity to move up at a more important position, that's the correct move in my eyes. If, if you have that chance, because we don't know that Kirk Cousins is going to be targeting Terrell Pryor. We also don't know that Russell Wilson is going to be targeting Tyler Lockett. But we know that Russell Wilson has a higher ceiling and a better floor because he is a mobile quarterback. So in a situation like that, it would make sense to move up a tier to a more important position. Where and, and But where I'll definitely try and correlate is, you know, let's say I'm on the board and uh, there's four quarterbacks available. There's Marcus Mariota, Derek, uh, David Carr, Derek Carr. Uh, I always get that mixed up. Kirk Cousins <laughs> and uh, Jameis Winston. Right. I've got all those four guys, you know, I've got one I like more than the other and another, you know, I got them rated one to four. But if let's say Winston's my number four and he is. um, But it's close. They're on the same tier. Well, if I've got Mike Evans in my as my first round pick. I don't mind taking Jameis Winston over Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr because I've got them so tightly connected. And overall, I'll get enough of the guys that I like. That's when I'm really looking to correlate. Exactly. And that first round pick that you take, whether you're taking Antonio Brown, whether you're taking Julio Jones, whether you're taking Mike Evans, 
Uh, I think that it is a really smart strategy to later on in the draft make sure that you secure that quarterback because you absolutely want the touchdowns coming from your big buy in the first round. Yeah, I think that is, you know, something that you should get in your head as you're going and look at the round when you're probably going to need to take that guy. And, again, it's so easy to just, oh, first-round pick Evan, second-round pick Gurley, third-round pick, um, you know, um, Hopkins, uh, or whatever it is. You know, try and have a little – I mean, we don't know how the draft's going to go, but you can know that, hey, if I'm going to have to take a quarterback in the sixth round – you know, to do this correlation, and that's when I normally take tight end. You have to have it in your mind that you've got to have a different theory for tight end. So thinking that all through, but you segued great for me. You mentioned the first round. Um, You have um, highlighted for me some guys that you like, and David Johnson, Lev Bell, and Zeke go off one, two, three in almost every draft, and You know, David Johnson is number one most of the time, so this isn't breaking news. But you've got David Johnson as number one highlighted and the other two guys as not being highlighted, which means you're okay with the value, but you don't love it. Tell us why you like David Johnson more than the other two. David Johnson is – he's just on such another level from every other running back. As far as fantasy football is concerned, um, he he averages so many targets and so many touches per game. He is literally the Arizona Cardinals offense, whereas Lev Bell, we have Antonio Brown competing for those touchdowns. We have big uh, Jesse James, who's a six-foot-seven target in the red zone. Uh, we, we have to worry about the home road splits where Ben is going to sling it at home and Lev Bell gets all that away stuff. Um, David Johnson just, to me, is so far and away above those other two running backs. If I have the chance to take him, I'm taking him. Exactly. The other two guys that you've got highlighted as buys that you feel really comfortable with are A.J. Green and LaShawn McCoy. Uh, uh, Tell us why uh, those two are guys that you have highlighted. So LaShawn McCoy, we saw what he can be when they actually feed him in Buffalo. He's behind a really good offensive line. We know that he can be a scat back out of the back. We know that he's a safety valve for Tyrod Taylor, and we know that a mobile quarterback correlates well for running backs. So that's why I like LaShawn McCoy. A.J. Green comes into a situation where he was one of the best wide receivers in fantasy last year, and he's going overlooked because of the injury. But he comes back, and with Tyler Eifert, he averages nine targets and 19 points per game. With Tyler Eifert. So he's just being undervalued, in my opinion, when we have these volume concerns with some of the other top wide receivers. Yeah, I, I love your thoughts on both of those. You threw out at something, and this is why I wanted to do the interview with you, because you're going to bring – you know, you're not tied to the um, – you know, the whole kind of community around these MFL 10s. And it's very easy to kind of start thinking like everyone else. So uh, I love the the point you made about LaShawn McCoy, that running quarterbacks and the running back 
are correlated. Just go into that a little more. Go into that correlation just a little more because I think that's information that really I haven't heard um, much of. Um, I haven't heard at all. Well, we know that when you consider a mobile quarterback, you have to think about what the defense is considering when going up against that team. With Tyrod Taylor, you have to worry about three things. You have to worry about the time that he has in the pocket, the deep ball, and whether he's going to run if he doesn't have anybody open. So a defense can't put somebody to purely be on the running back at all times out of the backfield because you'll have to have a QB spy watching Tyrod Taylor. So LaShawn McCoy is open more often out of the backfield as he has one of the weaker, maybe a cornerback three, maybe a nickelback on him out of the backfield that can't get there in time to close in on him before he has open space where he is most dangerous. Awesome. All right. The two guys that you have questions about in the first round are Mike Evans and Melvin Gordon. Uh, I had a lot of trouble early on with Gordon. I've kind of gotten over it some because Danny Woodhead didn't re- resign, uh, resign. But um, one of the things in your notes that I, you know, go, you, you'll talk a little bit about Mike Evans, but the, the point that, again, I'm always looking for things that, you know, people can't get on another show. You made a comment that Melvin Gordon doesn't make his own room. So talk a little bit about Mike Evans, and then when it comes, because I've heard a lot of people talk about Gordon's TD regression. That's kind of out there, but doesn't make his own room is something I'd like you to expound on more. Okay, so we'll we'll go over Mike Evans first because he's a pretty easy answer for me. Uh, he's going to drop in volume a lot. He had 170 targets last year, and that's not going to happen again with the additions of Deshaun Jackson. O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait didn't leave. And I have a feeling that they're going to want to run the ball a little bit more to kind of battle attrition since this team can make a playoff run with the roster that they have. So it's mainly volume concerns, and Mike Evans doesn't run after he catches the ball. So I think he needs to move down to the second round. Um, Melvin Gordon, when I say that he doesn't make his own room, um, you got to think about somebody like Todd Gurley. Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley are basically the same running back to me. They're very good if they have a lead blocker. They're very good if they have made it into open field as they're bigger backs and they can truck through, they're agile, but neither one of them can make that decision for themselves in the backfield. They have to have a clear path. Uh, Melvin Gordon doesn't have the offensive line to get those lead blockers and really get them into space in the middle of the field. And he doesn't have the ability to make people miss two or three times on his own before that lane opens. And that's my main concern with him. I love it. All right. So um, you don't think those two guys necessarily are first-round picks. So we'll look at the two guys you've got highlighted in the second round, and we'll ask you about T.Y. Hilton and Des Bryant. Des Bryant, I think, is going to be – the Mike Evans of last year. Um, Dak Prescott didn't have enough time to develop a bond with him. You got to remember that Dak Prescott was working with the third rounders, and that's why he meshed so well with somebody like Cole Beasley. Um, He didn't have enough time to work with Des Bryant and develop that relationship and develop that chemistry with him in the red zone. And Des Bryant's always been a force as a possession receiver that I think is going to be utilized much heavier this year than he was last year. Um, I think he needs to move up. I I would put him in the first round. I don't think he belongs in the second round. 
And then we have T.Y. Hilton, who I I buy a lot of every year just because he works out a slot and he is so fast and so dangerous as a big play threat with one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And one thing that really helps him out is being on an offense that plays at home in a dome, and he doesn't have to worry about those weather concerns. He can just turn and burn, and he's one of the better route runners. T.Y. Hilton is way too good to be moving back there. I would put him in over – man, I'd put him in – I don't know if I could put him into the first round, but he's somebody that I really like this year. Awesome. And it's funny, you've got a lot of guys with questions in the second round, three of which I completely agree with, so we'll start with them. Um, Devonta Freeman, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just going to cut to the chase. He's being you, you wrote he's being drafted over his ceiling. He splits the workload and offensive concerns, and that's exactly why I have almost no Freeman out of 75 drafts. Love the player. But I, I, I have to believe that there's going to be regression. DeMarco Murray um, is a guy that I'm going to get your thoughts on. And then you also have Gronk. All, all three of those guys, Freeman, Murray, and Gronk, are people that I own very little so far. So we, we agree on those. Why don't you tell people why you don't like Murray and Gronk? So DeMarco Murray is getting older. Um, he's got a lot of tread on his tires. And I know that he looked really good last year, but we did see him slow down a lot after week seven. And then the injuries started piling up. He had the foot concerns and he had the back concerns. And it, it just didn't look like he was going to make it through the end of the season. And then when Mariota got hurt, we didn't get to see if he had enough tank in the postseason. My worry with him is not only his age, but the fact that Decker got signed. And DeMarco Murray made most of his heyday as getting those red zone opportunities. You know, there were so many times when he was targeted out of the backfield in the red zone and when he got those carries, and those aren't going to happen anymore with such a stud red zone target with Eric Decker, one of the best in the league at converting passes into touchdowns. Gronk, on the other hand, it's just purely that he hasn't played a full season in three seasons. I I can't justify a second-round pick um, that much capital on somebody that I don't know if he makes it through the year. Uh, if he drops to me at the 2-3 corner, it, I'd be hard to pass him up, but I'd feel much more comfortable in the third round after I've already taken two uh, very big anchors for my offense. Yep. I love the call on Murray and Gronk. I, I, and for you know the reasons you mentioned, I will add with DeMarco Murray – he had a bad case of plantar fasciitis, which is, um, if anyone who's ever had a, a flare-up of it, it it's, it's a nightmare. And he didn't have it surgically fixed. And that makes me nervous, especially when I'm taking a second-round guy in an offense where you've also got Derrick Henry. Uh, I, I can make better second-round picks than Murray. I, I know I missed out on him a little bit last year. I, I got him late. Um, but I'm just not feeling him. The other two guys you've got are guys that I do like. Uh, Jordy Nelson, I think, is being drafted right around where he should. Same with Jordan Howard. I, I, you mentioned with Jordan Howard, bad offense drafted at ceiling, um, but he's a guy you know, who is going to be on the field a lot, and they, they, 
you know, if they're down two, three touchdowns, they're going to be dinking and dunking to him quite a bit, don't you think? Yeah, so I've I've had some pretty good conversations about Jordan Howard, and I think that it just comes into – my main concern with him is the same concern that I had with Gurley last year and that he looked really, really good as a rookie, and then he's going into this sophomore year. And what defensive coordinators do over the offseason is they look at these running backs and they look at the wide receivers and they find out what they're good at and they take it away. I worry that defensive coordinators will have figured out Jordan Howard. He's the only real offensive weapon on that team. Um, They have a rookie quarterback. They know they're going to be giving it to Jordan Howard a lot. I just think he's going to be hard-pressed to have the success that he had last year. I wouldn't mind him at the back of the third round. I wouldn't mind him in the middle of the fourth round. I just think second round a little bit too high. Awesome. And, you know, we're kind of running down on time, and we're not going to get to every round here. So I'm going to start picking and choosing a couple guys that I think you've got real interesting um, – that you've got interesting comments on. Um, and, and you know, you've got Joe Mixon in the fourth round. Sometimes he goes in the third, but he's highlighted. Um, I have some concerns because there's still two running backs there. But you love Joe Mixon. Tell us about your Mixon love a little bit. Well, Joe Mixon was the best running back in this drafted class, uh, better than McCaffrey, better than Leonard Fournette. Uh, he's, he's a complete package back. Uh, and coming into the NFL, he comes into a team that has, you're right, they have two running backs. They have uh, the ghost of Jeremy Hill who does nothing but fall over into the end zone. And then they have Gio Bernard. Oh, my God. And then they have Gio Bernard, who's coming off of a really bad injury that affects basically the core of what he is as a change of pace back. He needs the agility, and he needs to be able to cut. Um, And I don't know that coming out of this injury he's going to be able to do that. I just think this is a really, really good opportunity for an elite talent coming out of college. Um, to make that offense complete. And it might not happen week one or two, but as soon as he gets rolling, he's going to run away with that job. Two guys that you like a lot, um, you know, are Travis Kelsey and Alshon Jeffrey. And tell us a little bit about those guys and what you like uh, from what you're seeing from them. So Travis Kelsey, uh, in the research that I did, and this is part of the DFS part that I bring to my NFL 10, I'll look at the workload that he's going to have. Say if he was missing Jeremy Macklin last year. He, when he averages more than eight targets, which is what his average was without Macklin, he averages 19 points per game and 98 yards. He's tight end one value. Um, those are numbers that nobody else, at his position touched last year on average. And if he's not going to have Macklin, they didn't bring in anybody else to take his place. Kelsey is going to, he's going to be the tight end one this year. Uh, he's If Gronk is healthy all year, then it's a competition. But otherwise I can't see anybody else touching that value. And then as far as Alshon Jeffrey goes, Alshon Jeffrey, when he has more than nine targets, which is what he averaged when he was playing um, full minutes last year, he averages 17.5 points per game, 94 yards, 94 yards per game, and I think 0.6 touchdowns per game. Um, Carson went through; he was one of the top five in in 
throws per game last year. He averaged 37 throws per game. Uh, you've got to think at least 10 of those are going to Alshon every game. He's, he's a great laden draft. Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, he certainly has the talent with him. It's a matter of can he stay healthy, and that's what's suppressing his draft stock on those concerns, but, and uh, I guess a little bit of concern with the quarterback, but I, I, I tend to agree with you that if he gets health, you know, if, 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 thing, if he stays healthy, he certainly has an opportunity to be um, a, a, a great value. One of my favorite players, and I don't have as much of him this year as I did in the last two years, that you're very high on is Stefan Diggs. Um, give us a little bit on Diggs. Well, Stefan Diggs is being drafted at 6.3 right now. Uh, and that, that kind of blew my mind when I was going through my research for today. I've been where, where, him, where do you get those uh, numbers? Uh, I went to fantasypros.com, I believe. Okay. And he is averaging at, at the beginning of the sixth round. Um, and I, I've been drafting him somewhere in the fourth round every single time. He, towards the end of the year last year, he was averaging 15 fantasy points per game, 10 targets per game, um, and he wasn't scoring touchdowns. 15 points per game with no touchdowns. And it, it, if he even gets a little bit of normalization to that, if he even moves up to the league baseline of – I believe it's 4% touchdown conversion rates for wide receivers. He's going to be a stud. He's going to average 20 points per game next year. He's the unquestioned number one. I know people like Thielen, but he, he is the target master. He's the Julian Edelman of that offense, and we know he has huge upside from a couple games last year. Yeah, and, and once he got hurt last year, he wasn't the same player. It's so hard to – analyze whether someone was really, really hurt or they just don't play well when they're dinged. Um, but I'm certainly willing to give Diggs the benefit of the doubt. I'm kicking myself because I had a chance to take him in a dynasty league just to, uh, yesterday, and uh, I, I took someone else. But uh, I already have him in a couple dynasty leagues. So um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll finish up with uh, a couple of your later round guys that you are pretty high on. I'm just going to throw out, uh, and, and I got to mention that uh, you might want to get a Rotoviz pass <laughs> because their best ball app, if you're doing a lot of MFL 10s, um, the, the, the ratings there are completely accurate, and you can tweak them by, by day, by week. There's just, you know, if you, if you catch me off, uh, off show on Twitter, I can take you through it. I think it, you, you, you would just be really, really happy besides um, all the other things there. But uh, I digress. Absolutely. Uh, a, a salesman, uh, I guess, is, you know, is always going to sell a little bit. One of the <laughs> guys that you really, really like is Devontae Parker. I got to admit he's a guy I don't have a lot of. Sell me on Devontae Parker. Oh, being before drafted, you do that. Uh, before you do that, I just want to also throw in that I have been getting six rounds later a lot of Kenny Stills. Okay, fair, fair. Okay, so 
Devontae Parker was coming out of his shell last year. We we kind of saw a little bit of a breakout this uh, season from him until he got injured. And like you just mentioned, we don't know if guys are really hurt or if they just don't play well dinged up. Um, I will say that I don't like Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback. I don't think that he's very good, and I know that they're not going to pass a lot in that offense with Adam Gase as their head coordinator or as their head coach. Um, he really likes to run the ball, but what they do tend to do in an Adam Gase offense is feed their number one receiver, and that is Devontae Parker. Uh, as Devontae Parker breaks out of his shell a little bit more, I think that him and Tannehill can really develop a good bond, and we saw some good upside out of him last year. Uh, I don't think that he should be drafted super high. I'm not saying that he's a second- or third-round pick to do worse at the back of the fifth round or the beginning of the sixth. Awesome. Um, last two guys. One is Jonathan Stewart, um, and then we'll let you go with your deep, deep sleeper, who is Austin Safarian Jenkins. All right. So Jonathan Stewart, I had this conversation earlier, actually, with uh, one of the DR guys, um, Tuton. Jonathan Stewart is being picked in the 13th round, and I, I – I don't know if people think that McCaffrey is just going to come in and take every single person's job on that team playing quarterback <laughs> and wide receiver and running back, but Jonathan Stewart's not losing his job, man. Like he's still going to be the three down back. He's still going to be the main back um, on first down on second down. Like it, McCaffrey is going to be change of pace and he's going to come in on long third downs and they're going to play him in the slot and they're going to use him as a uh, special teams guy. Jonathan Stewart, I am willing to bet, is still going to have uh, 12 to 15 rushing attempts per game. He's still going to get one target per game. And we know that Cam Newton coming out of shoulder surgery, that that coaching staff is not going to let him continue to be reckless and run on the goal line. It's going to be all Jonathan Stewart's work. I can't believe people are taking him in the 13th round. Yep, it's a a fair one. All right, so give uh, give us your ASJ take. So I I, can, I have a little bit of a love affair with uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins. Um, two years ago, I drafted him mercilessly uh, as a min price value I, for the two weeks that he was healthy towards the end of the season, and he made me a lot of money. Um, he's just he's a really big guy. He's really big and really talented. He's fast. He's got good hands. Um, and there is nobody on that Jets team that they have to throw to in the end zone. Literally no one. They have Quincy and Nunwa and a, a, a cavalcade of rookies and then below Powell. I, I just think that somebody like Austin Jenkins, he's not going to be somebody that's going to win you the league. But I do think that coming in the 20th round, you could do so much worse. It, you could take Austin Jenkins and just stash him until they have a matchup with the Browns or something like that, and he'll go off for 40 points because who else are they going to throw to in the end zone? You're, you're, you're starting to convince me. One of the big things that I'm trying to do this year is I think we, you know, as humans, we have like, and I notice in myself, there's like three levels of resistance, right? There's the guys you like. There's the guys you want to like. There's the guys you really don't like, but, you know, someone can convince you. And, 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 and that, depending on your personality, 
you know, sometimes you can, can be convinced and sometimes you can be too hard-headed. And then there's just the guys you don't even consider, you don't even want to hear about. And I'm trying to get better at the last two levels of uh, recency bias. And, you know, I didn't like Austin Safarian Jenkins coming out because I thought he was immature. Um, you know, me avoiding him in everything worked out wonderfully. So that's the hardest <laughs> type of guy to get and do a do a do a turnaround on. It, it's very similar to Kirk Cousins, right? You know, I just didn't think Kirk Cousins was a thing. Well, now I own him in like two out of the. You know, I think. Well, out of the three dynasty startups that I've done from scratch, I own him in two, and it's because I changed my mind because the facts on the ground did it. So I really appreciate you taking me through ASJ because he's just one of those guys that it's very, very difficult for me to be open to. And, you know, the people who can change, I, 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 the, too many of the guys I was against the last couple of years turned out to be big guys. So I'm really trying to be a lot more open to that. So uh, great job, great podcast. I didn't mention that this – you won't believe it after listening to the pod, but this was James' first podcast. He absolutely crushed it. Um, thank you so much. I would love to have you back when we head toward DFS season and get your, you know, your thoughts on, you know, maybe a week of DFS. But you're you're you're, you're definitely a stud, and I'm really glad that you came on the pod. Um, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You're a sharp guy, um, and I wish you the best in your endeavors at Rotoviz and any opportunities that you get. And um, I'd, I'll jump back on the pod whenever you have time for me. I would love that. Um, I am going, you know, as I've done a few times recently, I asked James McCool what song he wanted me to end the show with. And, you know, these young guys, they always come up with either some rap song that I've never heard of, although I might have heard of the artist, or something that I, you know, don't listen to. Even though it's younger music, I actually had this, James, in my library. We're going to lead out with Jet. Are you going to be my girl? Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening.
because you look so fine and I really want to make you mine. And you look so fine, I really want to make you mine. Four, five, six, come on, I want to get your kicks. Now you don't need a money with a fish like that, do you? Are you gonna be my girl?